Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can go buy stuff for your guitar at westminstereffects.com and make sure you subscribe and comment and all that good stuff. Join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook and make sure... Oh, I already said subscribe and comment. Review the show. I don't know. This is all falling apart. Just forget it. Uh, I'm joined in person by... Everybody's Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. And one, I know it's been a minute since we've recorded because I just... <laughs> I was overwhelmed with this massive order that we've announced now with Warwick Distribution. Yeah, I saw that. Tell me about that. Well, so Warwick is most known for their bases. Bases, yeah. Uh, and they're in Germany. And they are now my distributor for Central, Eastern, and Northern Europe. So basically amazing. anywhere from the Baltic states to Scandinavia to uh, Poland, Hung- uh, I don't know about Hungary, but Czech Republic, Slovakia, they're handling all of that now. Uh, and they ordered 10 of everything, and I had to get that out the door. <laughs> and with, with 29, 29 models, you can do the math. Was that a contact from NAM? No, actually. So that's actually a fun story. Uh, typical German name, Hans, <laughs> <laughs> the owner of Warwick, uh, met, my, met my Japanese distributor at a trade show in Tokyo <laughs> Okay, and said, hey, I want to carry him in Europe. And so typical Japanese name, Shizuka. <laughs> That's awesome. Hans and Shizuka. Yeah, I gave him my email address. You can't make this up. Yeah, and it's it, it really is funny, like, contrasting the differences in how these companies talk, or communicate, rather, uh, because Germans are so direct. It's, mm-hmm. I need this, do this, yeah. whatever. And, and you know they're, they don't mean anything by it. It's just, they're just direct. And Shizuka and everybody at Benton Distribution they will bend over backwards to be nice to you. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Yeah, it's so interesting just how different cultures communicate and stuff like that. So that's why we haven't recorded in a minute. I had to get that crap out the door. And DHL finally picked up 180 pounds worth of stuff to take to Germany yesterday, which they paid for. <laughs> Fantastic. So you got so, them all done? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Thank God. Yeah. Because it was killing me for a minute. Yeah. Uh, but... Let's spring into our main topic. You did a funeral yesterday. I did. <laughs> I did. Uh, but it was probably, I would imagine, one of the happier funerals you've done. Yes. Or maybe more joyful funerals is it, maybe the way to put that. It was happy in a sense, for sure. I think I told the story on the podcast previous on a previous I episode. I think you did. I know you've told it in a sermon and in our Tuesday Bible study. Yeah. But I can't remember if you've told it here. So go ahead and just tell the story again for those who haven't heard this. It's worth repeating. Yeah. So it was two, three weeks ago. Um, I got a phone call from a member of our church. Uh, she's actually the oldest member of our church. Oh, she is. Uh, she is. Um, and her niece, who I've never met, does not go to church, um, was in the hospital dying with cancer. And she was asking for a pastor to come. Uh, and pray with her, and she asked me if I would, this member of our church asked me if I would go. Uh, And it was kind of late in the evening. Um, You know, to be honest, I wasn't all that jazzed about going. You know, somebody I don't know, I've never met, uh, doesn't go to my church. You know, it's a hospital visit at 9 o'clock. But I did know 
because the member of our church had been requesting prayer for this niece, mm-hmm. not only that with regard to her cancer, but that she would be saved. Right. Um, and this niece had lived a very, very rough life. Yep. Uh, I mean, we're talking everything you can imagine, drugs, uh, meth, uh, I won't even speculate beyond that, but it, it this this person had lived a very very rough life. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's fifty two years old, and so I go to the hospital. I get there about nine o'clock. I pull up a chair, and given the hour, given the situation, you know they're about to call in hospice and do end of life care with her. I wasn't inclined to beat around the bush, and uh, <laughs> so I, I pulled up a chair beside her bed and and I said, um, "You're dying." And spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. I said, you're dying. I said, what do you think is going to happen when you die? And she said, I think I'll go to heaven. I said, why? She said, because I think I've been good enough. And I said, no, you haven't. I said, neither have I. Um, and so that led into a rehearsal of the gospel. And it even led, you know, me to say to her, and this was the point where she really broke. As I said, you realize this cancer is God's kindness to you. Mm-hmm. I said, if you didn't have cancer, if you weren't laying in this bed dying with cancer, would we be having this conversation? She said no, shook her head, and and just burst into tears. Mm-hmm. I said, not everybody gets this chance. I said, some people die of a heart attack instantly. Some people get hit by a car. Uh, I said, you you have been given the gift of time before it's too late to surrender to the only one who can make you worthy of being in heaven when you die. I mean, I had to keep it really, really simple. Uh, because this person did not have, I I just had to keep it simple. Right. Uh, but get to the main issue is that it had to be Christ. It had to be Christ's righteousness. You didn't get into, uh, all of the points of Tulip. No. You didn't recite, uh, the entirety of the Belgic confession. (laughs) No, I did not do that. Um, but I did talk about the righteousness of Christ. Right. I did talk about the fact that God treated Jesus as if he had lived my life so that he could treat me as if I'd lived his. Mm-hmm. I, 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 in, in a simple way as possible, I explained imputed righteousness and that Jesus was the only way to have fellowship with the living God and to be able to stand before the living God and not come under his wrath. You know, mm-hmm. I, I did say that much. And I said, um, you know, are, do you want to put your trust and faith in Jesus? Is that what you want? You know, her name's Kelly. And again, with tears streaming down her face, yes, yes, yes. And I said, all right, you're going to pray. I was not about to lead her in a repeat after me prayer. And so I said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray. Romans 8, uh, the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray as we ought. Uh, I said, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to help you pray, believing that if Jesus was really saving her in that moment, that the Holy Spirit would give her what she needed in order to articulate her own surrender to Christ. Right. And so I literally prayed a 10-second prayer. Holy Spirit, help Kelly pray right now. And she prayed what I've said is one of the most beautiful prayers of salvation that I've ever heard in my life. I didn't give her one word. She she surrendered to Jesus with words that I would put at about a third, fourth, fifth grade level, but it was beautiful and it was it was it was amazing. And I've told people this and I at the risk of 
people thinking I'm mystical or weird, uh, especially given my Pentecostal background. But <laughs> I, while she was praying, I, when she started, I had my head bowed, my eyes closed. But as she pr- was praying, I was so struck by the prayer that I picked my head up and I opened my eyes and looked at her while she was praying. Mm-hmm. And f- and I'm telling you, Cody, this woman looked horrible. Yep. She's not only dying with cancer, but she's ruined her body in every way imaginable. Yep. And as I opened my eyes for a split second, I saw this beautiful woman laying in the bed. It mm-hmm. was unbelievable. And it, and it's, as soon as I saw that image of her, it, it, it left. But yeah. It was like I could almost, I, I told people I could almost smell Jesus in the room. Right. And um, when she finished praying, I looked at her and I said, Kelly, you don't have to be afraid anymore. And this incredible grin that captured her whole entire face came came over her. And um, I said, you don't have to be afraid anymore. I said, you can die in peace. And and, and she and I talked about the thief on the cross that Jesus saved. And she knew that story, and it resonated with her in a really powerful way. She died about a week and a half later. Mm-hmm. And yesterday, uh, today's Wednesday, and yesterday was Tuesday, I, I did her funeral. And I, I would venture to say that 95% of the 50 or so people that were here for the funeral uh, are not saved, don't know the Lord, and haven't darkened the door of a church ever, if not in a really long time. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I stood up and I read uh, from John chapter 3, verse 1. Um, well, let me back up. What, her sister had writ- written to me, Just we were emailing back and forth about details related to the service, and she said something in that, one of her emails about like, you know, Kelly had not always made the right decisions, but she did love her family. She loved her children, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I read that, you know, I read that email to the audience. Um, and then, um, as I'm opening the service, I read from John three where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, you know, we know you're a man sent from God because nobody could do the stuff you're doing. And Jesus says, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. And I said, you know, here's a guy who is the religious of all religious. He checks all the boxes. You know, and I'm talking to a crowd of unchurched people. Mm -hmm. And I said, this guy was as churched as you could get. And Jesus still looked at him and said, unless you're born again, you won't see the kingdom. Yeah. Being impressed with Jesus is not enough. Being impressed with Jesus is not enough. And having a lot of religious activity Mm -hmm. in your life is not enough. Yep. You don't get to decide for yourself that I've done more good than bad or I've had enough religious activity in my life that that's going to earn me entrance into the kingdom. Mm-hmm. You have to be born again. And then I told the story to this crowd, many of whom didn't had not heard it, uh, about Kelly being born again. And after it was over, a friend of one of this lady's sons came up to me. She was trembling, literally shaking, crying. That was beautiful. Um, I want the same experience. Mm-hmm. Do you have? She started asking me about our church and do we have service? She, she's. She, I asked her. I said, "Have you ever been in church?" She's like, "No, my parents did not prioritize that. I don't even. 
Like, I don't even, she didn't even know if we had regular services. I'm the pastor of the church, and she wasn't sure that I knew when the service times were. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, here's our service times. Here's what we do. I want you to come. And then um, I did the same thing with her. I prayed, Holy Spirit, help this, this girl's name was Rebecca. Mm -hmm. Help Rebecca pray. And she prayed through tears, shaking. And even, it was so sweet. As she started to pray, she's like, I'm so scared. Like she was afraid to voice what she was feeling and sensing. She understood who she was talking to. She did. Yeah, I really think she did. Um, and you know, I I don't love this about me. I find myself going, okay, well, we'll see if that was genuine. We'll see if she actually shows up. But and 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 I'm not inclined to make. I think salvation does happen in a moment. Mm -hmm. I think there is a crisis moment for everybody, even if we can't recall when that happened. There is a moment in time at which Jesus rebirth the Spirit rebirths us. Jesus calls us to Himself, um, and but I don't. I'm not inclined to overplay that moment because I do think that God brings His dear children along. He begins a good work in us, and then He's faithful to complete it. Right. And so I'm I'm praying for Rebecca that that work indeed has begun, and that the the, the Lord will bring it to completion, and whatever whatever role we're supposed to play in her life, that the Lord will help us uh, see that and, and, and actually do that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. It's that approach to evangelism was not Jesus loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Mm -mm. I understand that you feel X, Y, and Z about things. Now let me assuage some of those yep. dif uh, discomforts and, you know, Jesus cares about, he gets us. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Um, it was when you really boil it down, the the approach that you took was Jesus is Lord, and that's a problem for you. Yes, to, for all intents and purposes, and that's also what you see in the Book of Acts. Uh, we we had that uh, evangelism class with Brian Onkin, uh, what a couple years ago at this point. Yep, and we went through most of the accounts in Acts. But one of the interesting things you see when the apostles are evangelizing people, there was no mention of, now you need to understand Jesus died for your sins. Right. Uh, bow your head, repeat after me. Uh, there was nothing like that. It was Jesus is Lord. Like even, even in Acts 2, let the entire house of Israel know for certain that this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. Mm -hmm. And then he you can kind of picture him in your mind just kind of walking off before everybody says, brothers, what shall we do? <laughs> what must we do? And and that, that to me is the other thing that characterizes this recent evangelism I've been engaged in is that I did not, I did not set up an, a, 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 an appointment or an event where I made a presentation and gave an invitation. Mm -hmm. I'm not opposed to that. I'm not opposed to evangelistic events or services where gospel presentations are made. Like when you do your concerts, if you if you pause at some point in your show and you present the gospel and then say, "Hey, if that resonates with you, come talk mm -hmm. to me afterward." I'm not I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. But this was literally I feel like in both cases with Kelly and Rebecca, Jesus tapping me on the shoulder and saying, "Here." Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. doing this. You want to get in on it? Mm -hmm. especially with the phone call I got to go to the hospital, you know, I'm doing this. 
You want to yeah. get on it? You want to get in on this? You want right. to participate with me in this? And uh, and then since sorry. when does an office phone ring? My do not disturb is off. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, that was that's driving me crazy. My ADD is kicking in. There we go. Uh, that was really what characterized this these two interactions. Yeah, was Jesus did something, and it was really put in front of me, and I got to just be a vessel through which he did what he wanted to do. Right. Like he was doing it. It wasn't Bradley. I didn't, I mean, I just literally stood up at this funeral and told the story. Mm-hmm. I didn't, I didn't give some clever, uh, you know, talk or, or illustrated sermon to try to compel people to respond. You know, I didn't even have connect cards for people to check boxes or anything. I just said, here it is. And I didn't give an altar call. I didn't even say at the end of that funeral, if you want to know Christ, come talk to me afterwards. I didn't even right, say that. Right, right. I just presented it, prayed, shut it down, <laughs> and she very sheepishly and and again with fear and trembling. That's literally what L- it was literally like. fear and trembling. Literally yeah. fear and trembling. She came up to me and wanted to know Christ. Yeah, I keep hearing accounts of blunt and bold gospel proclamation that actually bears fruit. Mm-hmm. So I was. Literally, before I, I drove over here, I was listening to Cross Politic. They've, I can't remember the guy's name, but he has a podcast called Campus Preacher. And his vocation is he goes to university campuses and preaches open air. Huh. And he's reformed, and he he doesn't pull punches, but he's he's not a... I think James White has used the term of like the Westboro types. He's not a street screecher. Yeah, yeah. Like he's legitimately trying to engage, and he's preaching the gospel. And he had a, an interaction with uh, a girl, like the typical blue-haired girl, like obviously incredibly leftist, has bought into all of the isms. And uh, she was just harassing him, just yelling stuff, just gross stuff. And he's like, I'm going to be like Paul in Ephesus and just shut this down so she'll just leave me alone. Right? Like when Paul cast the demon out of that yeah. girl who was yeah. following him around. And she said... The Bible is unjust because it condones execution for adultery. And he said, I think that's a great idea. This was him shutting her down. I think that's a great idea. We execute people for treason against the country. How much worse of a treason is adultery against the family? Yeah. Because a man is ruining his wife and kids, and he's ruining the other family with that. And she shut up and sat down and listened for two more hours. Wow. Where, Where... I think there's something going on right now. We we see the culture in free fall, but we also see one backlash against some of this lunacy going on, yeah. whether it's Bud Light or Target or the Dodgers yeah. or whatever. And you also see the fact that people are waking up to the fact that justice has to happen somehow. And if there is no God, there is no justice. They're waking up to the fact that we really are messed up. Maybe they don't have language for sin and wrath and stuff, but they know something about being broken or things not being how they should be. So why don't we press on that? Like press on that nerve and get to the point. I think we should. And I think as we do that, I think we should expect increased hostility yeah, from those who don't have ears to hear. I right. think, you know, we, we've, we've kind of been in this evangelistic mode of, uh, 
you know, it's it's a the equivalent of how to win it, friends and influence people with a little Jesus seasoning, mm-hmm. as opposed to the bold proclamation, "Jesus is Lord." I sat with somebody last night mm-hmm. who I, I I believe is a believer. Mary and I did, um, and this person is questioning a lot of things, particularly on the LGBT whatever front. Mm-hmm. Like, I I you know believes in Jesus. Wants to worship Jesus, I think trusts the Bible, but is struggling mm-hmm. with the cultural influence that surrounds this person. And, um, you know, I just simply said, you know, is Jesus Lord? Yes. Okay. That's true. Then pack up all your doubts and questions and bow your knee and let's wrestle through this. We can have conversations mm-hmm. as long as we're understanding. That's That's really the critical issue. Yep. And if if Jesus is Lord, and and we can agree on that, then I think the door of evangelism swings wide open with an unbeliever in particular. Right. Is that if they could if they could just see that, know that, hear that, that's really the issue. It's not whether or not you want to trust Jesus because you think He loves you, or because you think He died for you, or because He has a great plan for your life. That's surfacey and shallow. Mm-hmm. Not that the gospel doesn't have something to say about all those things, but the critical issue is what Peter said in his first evangelistic message. This Jesus, whom you crucified, God has made both Lord and Christ. That is the bottom line. Yeah. And we we talk about here all the time, you say it's it's not just turning over a new leaf. This is right. God giving us, as you like to say, a new wanter, mm-hmm. because it really is an affections issue. So here's my illustration I told you I was going to throw at you. I've never used this before. So do you like cilantro? Yes. I don't. Okay. It tastes like soap to me. (laughs) There is is a genetic mutation in people that makes cilantro taste like soap to people. Yeah. So cilantro cannot be an acquired taste for me because it's always going to taste like somebody stuffing a bar of soap in my mouth. Yeah. I, <laughs> you see I didn't where I'm know going? about the genetic thing, yeah. but that I've heard people say that. Yeah, it's it's a legitimate genetic thing and like it's not like black coffee. Yeah. You know, you drink it enough, it's and it's fine or uh diet coke where, you know, people who for whatever reason drink diet coke, <laughs> yeah. Eventually they can't tell a difference. But with cilantro, it's not going to happen. Yeah. Right. What for me to like cilantro, my genetics have to change. Like literally down to my DNA has to change. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And the same thing has to happen in evangelism. Whether you want to look at uh, Ezekiel thirty-seven, God has to take out the heart of stone, put in a heart of flesh. Uh, Ephesians two, you were dead. And and that does mean dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> it yeah. doesn't it doesn't mean mostly dead like the princess bride. Right. It's you were dead. Yep. All the way dead, and God made you alive. He has or in I think it's first or second Peter, he has caused us to be born again. Yeah. Like God is the cause of that. Yep. And that's how gospel proclamation, all evangelism has to take into take that into account. Otherwise, Paul's statement on how Foolish preaching the gospel is doesn't make sense. Right. If I remember correctly, the the word for foolishness there is where we get our word for moron. Yeah. <laughs> a a moiros or, yeah. or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah. Is he's saying you're a moron yeah. for preaching to dead people <laughs> yeah. who hate God and expecting 
and you actually expect God to do something, but that's what he's promised to do yep. is he's ordained the ends and the means by which he accomplishes that. Maybe we should just participate with that a little more and expect for him to do stuff well, instead of saying, yeah, maybe, maybe something will happen. I don't know. You know, one of the criticisms that I've faced um, is that y- our approach here at Res is to uh, disciple believers in, mm-hmm. in the depths of their salvation and um, go deeper in that understanding, but it, it you, you still got a church that's mostly full of Christians, um, if, if not entirely full of Christians, and... And and and, and, I, and I would say that and, but you know you know what I feel so called to like personally is that um, I feel like if if I have a church that's full of churched people, there's a lot of unlearning that I think is taking place at Res. Yes, unlearning and relearning. Here it goes again. Uh, hold on a sec. <laughs> this pause brought to you by what's the phone company? Shut up, phone. <laughs> so unlearning taking taking place at our church. There's a lot of unlearning taking place um, of really how I think, you know, the, so much of the church world was shaped by the likes of Charles Finney and Billy Graham. Yep. Um, and, then, and then even more recently, guys like Charles Stanley. Yeah, even, yeah, yeah, Charles Stanley. And although, yeah, I don't know. We can talk about Charles Stanley another time, but. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, it. rabbit trails but it it we we don't christians don't understand their own salvation and yeah. i'm not saying that somebody has to have a seminary degree and with a specialization in soteriology in order to be an effective evangelist but i do think that even the way we have led people to christ has led to a in some cases wrong if not shallow or very surfacey understanding of their own salvation and therefore they're not equipped Right. To go and evangelize anybody. If you don't understand what it is that's happened to you, yep. how is it that you're going to be able to then explain to others? Like, I, I know there was the, 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 the blind man that Jesus healed, right? And he got so questioned by the religious leaders, and he, eventually he just says, look, I don't, all I know is that I was blind, and now I see. Mm-hmm. But I don't even think that most, I say most, Many Christians even get that far. Mm, yeah. I was blind, but now I see. No, I made a decision, turned over a new leaf, and decided to follow yep. Jesus. And no, that's not what happened. Which you were I born think, again. I think explains some of the some of how the culture war is, is being fought right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, because if 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 we understand culture as worship Ergo, culture war is a worship war. Who are right. we worshiping? Right. As opposed to, well, I turned over a new leaf. I made a decision. Therefore, the difference between the believer and the unbeliever is the believer. Yes. Not God. Right? And so if we believe that the difference in our salvation is something we did, that necessarily affects how we go about the cultural engagement aspect of whether it's Christianity or even just being a human, right? If if you're the difference, then 
man, you import pride, <laughs> you import arrogance, and all that kind of stuff into into any kind of engagement. You can, you, you can, and you certainly, you know, when when you talk about um, sort of blunt evangelism, mm-hmm. you know, blunt doesn't mean it has to be mean, right? It, it's it's certainly not unkind, but it's direct and to the point. Yes, and if, and if you're if your understanding of salvation is more about what you did rather than what God did, then you're not going to be able to get to the point. Yep. You know, First Peter one three, God has caused us to be born again to a living hope. If you don't understand that, I just I think that's so crucial. Uh, even if even if you know somebody listening to this podcast, which I doubt there are, still has a semi Pelagian. Plagianist view of salvation. I think you'd be surprised at how many still listen to us who who have those kind of views. So if you do, stop it. Well, <laughs> yes, yes, but if you're still holding to that, what I would say to you is, can, at the very least, open your mind to the fact that your salvation is a divine accomplishment, not a human achievement. Yep. If 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 you're that far then I, I'm okay with you, and I think you mm-hmm. can be an effective evangelist if you can at least get that far because that is, the Bible is saturated with that language, and I meet very few Arminianists. Um, in fact, I don't know that I've ever met an Arminian that um, does not in some way or another, and we might criticize them and say there's inconsistencies in their yeah. understanding, but regardless, does not in some way or another recognize that their salvation is God's work. Right. And that he did something. He did something to them. It's it's their understanding of their cooperation with that that might get a little wonky from our perspective. Mm-hmm. But re- nevertheless, as long as we can get that far, then I think we can be effective evangelists that God has to do something. God has to change affections. God has to change our DNA. Mm-hmm. We have to be born again or we won't see the kingdom. Yep. Good stuff. Uh, Inquisition? Sure. And this is the Inquisition. Well, I stretched for the fader. Oh, my goodness. I positioned that poorly. This is the Inquisition where you submit questions and we answer them on the fly. And you submit those questions via a weekly post in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge. And as is tradition, we start with Brian Morris, who asks, what are the best P-Dubs songs from the 1990s? Ooh. I am not qualified to answer this. P-Dubs having, from the 90s. Now, here's here's... Here's something funny, though. Yeah. So, one, Drew Medden commented that the only acceptable answer is on use day. Fair. Uh, Matt Paragoy commented just, behold, he comes, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> <laughs> now, here's where it gets really fun. <laughs> you know I grew up Church of Christ, yeah. which means we had zero instruments, and it was yeah. only four-part harmony a cappella. Yeah. We sang Days of Elijah. Nice. Completely a cappella. Nice. And they, they actually did a really good job with it. It yeah. was it wasn't my favorite song, but yeah. uh I can't stand that song. Yeah. It, it I'm was, not even really sure why, but I can't stand that song. Yeah. It, it's so happy clappy for yeah. judgment language. So Behold he comes on the clouds and he's gonna kill everyone. <laughs> <laughs> Let's sing in a major key. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> You know, it's funny. I was just talking with uh, a friend of mine who was uh, he was a huge influence in my life. He's about ten years older than me, and um, he 
led worship teams that I was a part of for years in my mm-hmm. college years and beyond. And we were talking about some of the songs we were doing in the 90s. Uh, just Sunday night, he came over to the house. And it's like Potter's Hands, uh, Hill no Song. for that. Uh, Shout to the Lord. I do have reference for that, yep. And, and, heard we, of, and we sang that one a cappella. Yep. You ever heard of Dennis Jernigan? Nope. Um, I wouldn't recommend going to listen to it. But <laughs> we did a lot of Dennis Jernigan. Um, uh, what else? Th- uh, this is this is almost like like guys can get together and just start naming athletes from their childhood. Yeah, yeah. Uh, whether it's you, know, you were more of an '80s kid and I was more of a '90s kid, but you know, like even bench players from the Braves, Keith Lockhart. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like everybody remembers him coming into pinch hit and whatever. Uh, but or Brad Klontz with the sidearm coming out of the Braves bullpen. Yeah. Um, it's it's kind of the same thing, right? Is yeah. hey, remember when we did that song? Man, that was not good. Yeah. Or, or man, we had a great time with that. It's it. That's kind of what this is reminding me of. One of my favorites was uh, called "I See the Lord," and it was based on Isaiah six. Oh, okay. Seated on the throne. And yeah. It, it was it was almost a direct quote. That was a really good one. Um, yeah. That I, you know, if it wasn't musically outdated, I wouldn't mind doing again. <laughs> uh, trying to think what else, but those were... We can rewrite it. Just yeah. Tell Stephen to rewrite it. Um, yeah, it talks about the train of his robe, fill the temple, and... and uh, Yeah, it's, it's really good. It's probably on Spotify. Good stuff. Yeah. Next question from Drew Medden. What are some practical steps to improve your prayer life? Mm. Mm. That's a good question. Um, I would tell, I'll just simply talk about what I feel like is improving my own prayer life right now. Um, is, you know, I went through this um, elder training course with Brian Alkin in the river uh, that was you know, two semesters, one was on the ministry of the word, one was on the ministry of prayer. Mm-hmm. One of the things I learned in the semester on prayer was that there's actually 12 different words in the New Testament that we translate prayer praying. Mm-hmm. And um, the general word for prayer is a word that means conversation. It's conversation with the living God, mm-hmm. expecting that, you know, I think a lot of times people's prayer life grows stale because it's, it's, it's only a prayer request list and we're just sort of, you know, reciting to God the things that we want him to do something about. That's fine. I'm not knocking that. But it's another thing to be led in prayer. And when James talks about the prayer of faith, I think that's really what he's talking about is being, because he uses Elijah as an example. Elijah prayed that it would rain um, after it hadn't rained for three and a half years, but God told Elijah, I'm going to send rain on the earth. And that's James' example. Uh, for the prayer of faith. So I've just been trying to begin my praying, you know, infuse my praying with really a simple request. Lord, help me pray. Mm-hmm. How would you have me pray? Right. And not getting all weird and mystical like expecting the clouds to part or, <laughs> you know, hear an audible Or to voice. see handwriting on the wall. Yeah, but, but Cause, taking... Because that didn't go so well in the Bible no, for that guy. But taking time to pause... And listen and be sensitive to how it is that the Lord might be leading me to pray, you know, to ask the Lord, Lord, help me pray. I want to pray rightly. I want to ask. I don't want to ask wrongly, like James says. I want to ask rightly. So I I tend to do that and then just pause. Praying about praying. Yeah. 
Praying about praying has been really helpful for me. So here's here's something that I've I've been chewing on recently. Um, I'm actually doing the call to worship this Sunday using this verse. Mm-hmm. So in Ephesians five, and don't it'll have a different emphasis, obviously. Uh, don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh. So. The Greek there means give thanks for everything. (laughs) There's not a way out of it. You are commanded to thank God for literally everything. So if it's a situation or if it's a material thing or literally everything, like if you can think about it, thank God for it. Yeah. So whether it's for mic cables that work or the electrons that are moving back and forth between on the cable, to yep. the mixer and the fact that the mixer's working and the fact that there are silicon chips within just like you just start thinking about stuff and it's like oh yeah god gifted all of that to us you know it makes me think about i remember this was 1997 i lived with my grandparents for a summer while i was doing an internship mm-hmm. and um i would i i would get up pretty early my grandfather always got up pretty early and I think I was up early one morning, was in the den. I don't think he knew I was up, but I heard him get up and come into the kitchen, and it was raining that day. Mm-hmm. And as he's coming into the kitchen to get his cereal, I heard him whispering in prayer. Mm-hmm. Uh, and his the, the first words I heard were, Jesus, thank you for the rain. Yeah. Like he just, he just, and it was like nobody was watching that right but he's you know he's got yes he's got a garden out in his backyard and he's thanking the lord for the rain right and just you're talking about gratitude so praying about praying and maybe man just be grateful yeah um yeah yeah uh last question from lance moore our church is now searching for a new pastor after ours has been here for 25 years that's a good run yeah would love to hear y'all. He actually said y'all. I guess he's from the South. Uh, would love to hear y'all discuss this. How long should a pastor be in one church, and what do you think the process should be for searching for a new pastor? How long should a pastor be in a church? Yeah. I, well, I guess I guess maybe this comes from my guess would be, you know, since it's treated as a career, you know, even to uh, uh, John Piper's chagrin with, Brothers, we sh- we are not professionals. Right, kind of. A lot of people treat it as you know climbing a corporate ladder. Sometimes I'll be here for three years, here for right. the next five years, and work right. my way up until I get something huge and I can rest on my laurels, kind of thing. Um, but you've been here how long? Again? Eighteen and a half. Eighteen and a half. <laughs> that half matters. Uh, so twenty-five years, provided you don't get hit by a bus. Um, it's not that far away. Not that far away. So, I mean, I. how long should a pastor be somewhere? That's an interesting question. I mean, there's part of me that wants to say as long as he can do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I think there, like every church needs built-in accountability. There needs to be a plurality of elders. There needs to be a plurality of leadership and accountability because, you know, I've made jokes about it before, but dementia runs in my family. Mm-hmm. And I've said to people, you know, at some point you just, before you take my car keys, you might have to take the mic. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I made jokes about that, but but you know, in in for all intents and purposes, there does need to be people in the ministry that if 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 I'm if I get to the age or from a health standpoint, mental standpoint, that I'm incapable of doing this, right? There needs to be people that love me that are around me that can say, Bradley, you you've had a good run. It's time to sit down. Yeah, and and I need to be willing to accept that. But having said that. I think a pastor should go as long as he possibly can in one place. Yep. I th- I there are there are levels of effectiveness and fruitfulness that I'm experiencing now that there is no way, no way you can experience them in in, in 5 years or less. Because it is a long game. It like is a long game. We've we've interacted with many people in our church who have been here for longer than I have yep. who, who are being challenged on things and are coming out of uh, systems of thought that you know we have problems with but the fact that first you were patient with them and and long suffering yep. and all that kind of stuff and then the fact that other people were willing to actually deal with things instead of just writing them off yep that doesn't happen in five years no it doesn't and, and we and we do give people room to ask legitimate questions <laughs> not not the dumb ones right. you know if if someone comes with a stupid question then we call it a stupid question but we do give room to wrestle with things and to come you know come alongside and then hey come a little farther come a little farther yep. come and you know we we don't expect everybody to uh as piper would call it a we don't expect seven point calvinists the <laughs> second you walk in the door well and i think you know when it comes to uh Finding a new pastor, particularly after somebody's been there that long, um, I think I think a, an individual church has to decide what it is that you're looking for in a pastor. Yep. Um, you know, I feel an enormous amount of shepherding responsibility for this congregation, mm-hmm. and that res- that sense of responsibility and that sense of care has only grown and deepened over eighteen years. Right. But if if you've only been somewhere one or two years, and your expectation is that within three to five you're going to be moving to a new place, you're not going to take the level of responsibility that I'm taking at eighteen and a half. You're not going right. to you're not going to invest the level of care. Yeah. So your if, your ministry is old enough to join the military at this point. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So if you if if you're looking for somebody to just come and preach on Sundays and visit the sick, marry the living, and bury the dead. Yeah. Uh, and your church is really the the pastoral responsibility, the shepherding responsibility primarily resides with a group of elders, mm-hmm. for example, that have been there a long time. Maybe that works. Yeah. Maybe that works. I'm not I'm not beholden to the air quotes senior pastor model yep. of local church. I'm okay if like I might be okay with a church that has a, a, a solid group of elders that have been there for a while and aren't going anywhere and are caring for the church and ensuring the responsibility of pastoral leadership to the church. And, but maybe the person who teaches on Sunday is, is really a in, in partnership with them mm-hmm. in some way or another, but I don't know, may not be there that long. Maybe that works. That's a little outside of my paradigm. Um, I just think that it's it's best for someone to be there for a long time. Yeah, and I think this question only can get asked in a culture that's 
pretty dang transient. Yeah. Uh, we we don't really put down roots very well in, in America these That's days. That's true. Uh, whether, whether it's career, and I get, you know, careers turn toxic, something like that's my story with yeah. starting Westminster Effects. Is I had to get out of a job because it was awful. Uh, well, it turned awful. Um, or you know, we we ship kids off to school and then they move across the country as opposed to trying to keep them local. So you actually keep the not just the nuclear family but the natural family together. Yeah. Uh, like how awesome would it be if we instilled a culture at our church or whoever's church of, hey, keep your kids local. And then let's have generations coming through this church. Yeah. And then you have that ripple effect down through literal generations. Yeah. And, you know, I've seen, sadly, in 18 and a half years, um, I've seen very little of that. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. want, I'm hoping, I'm, I'm really, really hoping that we're on the verge of seeing it. Yeah. Because I, we're, I, I think our church has gone through so many different seasons. Um, and now I think we're on the verge of actually seeing generational ministry take place. Yep. Um, and I, I think it's still going to take another five, ten years maybe to realize it. But I, I'm i hopeful that I'll see it in my tenure here. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can see the rumblings of that starting already. Yeah, you know? me too. So, shall we end it there? Sounds good. Good, because I pushed the button. <laughs> we don't have a choice Point at no this return point. Now. Point of no return. Thanks for listening to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor, and make some music. We'll see you next time.